Hey there, Jets fans. Welcome back to yet another episode of the Jet Centric Podcast. My name is AJ, and I'm here with Daniel. Daniel, thank you for joining. Hey, what's up? Uh, not much. You know, it's kind of good. There's only one person to, to throw to, so you don't have to talk over another person where you everyone says hi at the same time. And we could probably get away with not interrupting each other uh, too much either when once the bigger round table. <laughs> so this is more just a, a two-person table. Um, I could go through the list of where everyone's at and why they're not with us. Uh, first of all, Roddy just finished recording with Rick Ralph. So I've got an episode that, Dan, Daniel, you actually recorded with uh, Andrew Berkshire uh, earlier today. And then uh, Roddy recorded with uh, Rick Ralph uh, today as well. So those two were kind of combined those into an episode and maybe throw that out on what day of the week is it today? Tuesday? So maybe we'll put it on Thursday. Yeah, Thursday, something like that. We'll uh, send it out for people. So that'll be good. I'll, I'll ask you about your interview here shortly. But, um, you know, C-Mac was out of town. Katie's sick. Ryan was sick. Glenn, I don't know where Glenn is. Ali lives, lives in Ontario. So these later nights are no good for him. So whatever. It's just, just me and Daniel. So it'll be good. I think we'll cover a lot of things. I was actually really looking forward to doing this because I feel like we missed probably a bunch of topics the last time we, we chatted, and there's also been a bunch of stuff to talk about since. So we'll, we'll get into it. But before uh, we get too kind of deep into all the myriad of topics we can cover, uh, Daniel, I was wondering if you could just kind of hit us with some of the stats. Where where the Jets, Jets at, maybe in the standings, um, especially if they have games in hand, just kind of put it into context. Uh, how are we doing overall in the season? Maybe the last 10 games uh, are the most recent games. I guess we recorded about three three games ago, so kind of what has happened since then. So uh, can you just kind of lay it down for us? What uh, what should we know about the Jets right now for those who haven't been paying attention to all the things that have transpired this season or more, more recently? Yeah, so the Jets are doing okay, obviously, with tonight's four or 3-1 win over the Islanders. They're on a, a four-game winning streak and have won uh, what would that – or a, a four-game winning streak and have won – Five of their last six games, I believe, is what I have in front of me here. So that's that's a pretty good streak they're on after kind of struggling a little bit uh, uh, at the end of or in the middle of November there against on that road trip, Calgary and Minnesota before they had that huge 8-4 uh, victory against St. Louis with line eight scoring those five goals. Um, and then they went, uh, they came back home after that St. Louis game and they uh, blew a third period lead to Pittsburgh. That's really nothing new. That was the, I believe, it was the this time they had blown a lead to that point in the third period and they lost that game 4-3. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then uh then they welcomed Chicago to town. That was last last Thursday, I believe they welcomed them to town and they won 6-5. It really shouldn't have been 6-5 that game. They almost blew another third period lead. Mm-hmm. Ehlers <laughs> had a hat trick that game. Uh Line A also popped in two goals and Truba had the th- the, the other goal that game. And then this uh this weekend up till tonight they were out in the New York New York State area and uh, beat the Devils 4-3 in overtime, a game that they were up uh, 3-1, I believe it was 3-1 at one point in that game, and they blew that lead and took it to overtime, where Shifley single-handedly won that game on the last second, or the last 20 seconds or so, we had a nice offensive zone steal. Then Sunday night, they uh, played the Rangers, they won that one 4-3 in a shootout, Shifley got the, the shootout winner there, and they made a great third-period comeback. They were down 3 nothing after two, and then really turned it on in the third period. They had actually controlled most of the game. Lundqvist just played out of his mind. Like, to put that in, the Jets had 42 shots in all in the three periods plus overtime. The Rangers had 19. 
So Hellebuck was slightly shaky in that game, and Lundqvist was was unreal. And the Jets probably could have popped in five or six goals in the third period, but they only popped in three and then won in a shootout. And then tonight against the Islanders with half of their decor out, uh, it was scoreless through two. Jets won three one, and they actually looked pretty decent tonight. Um, for considering that Morrissey was a late uh, game time scratch, he was uh, lower body's a little not doing well. Bufflin's out with a concussion, as we were going to hit on that a little bit later. And then Sherratt and Morrow are both injured with whatever. Who cares what they're injured with as long as they're not <laughs> playing? I think the Jets are Jets are doing all right. Um, so tonight's uh, tonight's win. If I'm looking at the the standings here, that gives the Jets uh, 36 points and 27 games played. So that's not too shabby. It's good enough for uh, third place in the Central right now, and they got a game in hand on Nashville, who's leading the division with 39 points. So they're right up in there, as we expected, and it's uh, still looking kind of the way we expected Nashville and the Jets to be fighting it out for first. Colorado's really hot right now with their uh, that line with McKinnon, Rantanen, and uh, whoever the heck else plays up there with them. So that's Dano, hopefully. Dano? Yeah, Dano's on that that line. McKinnon. Yeah, Dano's on that line now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 only in our dreams, I think. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Daniel, uh, Daniel and I are recording over the phone here, and what's kind of funny is obviously because I can't see you. I just picture uh, those interviews where LeBron would like retell the whole story of like the the game. It's like, yeah, and then he got the steal. I don't know if you remember him doing that in the playoffs, and they just kind of telling the story, and it's like, wow, he he recalled all that. So in my mind's eye, I like to think that you're doing this all by memory. <laughs> all the all the scores. I, I wish that was. I wish that was almost that was half memory, half looking at my phone. So yeah, you 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 do have a pretty good memory for for stuff like that. You know, it's actually kind of interesting just talk about the decor and how the Jets have been sort of decimated there and some of the characters. Well, uh, besides Morrissey, and I mean Niku has just you know recently been been called up. Uh, we can maybe get into that a little bit. Well, let's just stick with the D for a second. Um, most of those injuries, besides before Buff and and Morrissey today. Um, have been on the left side and the left side besides Morrissey was always the huge question mark. So there's part of me that when people start kind of citing this defense core being decimated, uh, it's kind of the players that you don't, the more negligible ones. I mean, Kulikov being out again is sort of whatever. And then to throw somebody in the way Kulikov has been playing uh, this season has not been good. So it's like, no, oh, sure. Schilling probably could do as good as he did. And then, you know, you get uh, Sherratt and, and Moro. Uh, whether people sorry, like... Sherratt, Sh- and I screwed up. It was uh, Moro and Kulikov that are out. Oh, sorry. I, yeah, I, did, I followed yeah, was... your, your lead on that one, I actually. And I, I even watched the game, too. I didn't, yeah, I didn't catch was... it. I was just repeating you. Holy. Sherratt actually played 21 and a half minutes tonight, too. That's probably. Well, he's done. No, he was. Yeah. I didn't even notice him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, you know, I guess uh, he was uh, – what pairing was he on then? Because Nico ended up actually playing on that topper. Okay, well, you know what? It, it doesn't matter. Sherratt is, is healthy. Kulikov is out and uh, and Morrow. And those, again, are to, – to my point, besides adding Sherratt and that uh, lumping him in there, uh, they're kind of the ones that it doesn't really change too much. I mean, uh, it's problematic when Myers goes too far up the lineup or gets too many minutes, but they seem to be – coming down a, a little bit more than what they, they used to be uh, now with Buff out. I mean, the Morrissey being out was just today. That's that's the only time. So that's like a super new development. So they won one game without Morrissey. Uh, but with Buff, it's been the last, what, two or three games now? 
Um, but so that was the adjustment, I think, to cover for Buff. The Morrissey thing was just a, an anomaly. It was just one game. There's not, it's not like if uh, you keep Morrissey out of the lineup that the Jets somehow magically get better. You know, they managed to beat a New York Islanders team, and uh, that's it. But uh, the players that have been missing, anyhow, are not the ones that uh, are the most concerning. Obviously, like I said, Buffin and Morrissey, the one game. But it's uh, so the the narrative about this defense core being decimated. I mean, Sammy Niku is a very, very capable uh, defenseman. So he doesn't hurt your team when he comes up. I mean, he's had some defensive lapses and everything, but obviously he has offensive upside. So that's not really a huge loss to put him in. Obviously, taking Morrissey and Buff out, I'm well aware of who who came out of the lineup as well. But um, Schilling seemed to, you know, stand in there all right. And Sherratt was being Sherratt, I guess. Uh, like I said, didn't even know he was in the, in the game. And Myers yeah. kind of uh, been a little bit quieter, I guess, with his crazy mistakes. I think he had a real bad one uh, last game. But, uh, yeah, so the the just uh, I'm concerned about – not concerned. Obviously, we want these, these – uh, defenseman to to get healthy, but just the narrative about this defense having done something super special. Uh, I'm not sure that the defense was really that much different until you know these last two or three games, and they managed to win them. But uh, small sample size alert, right? You don't want to kind of give too much credit where it's due. You, you, you score some goals, your goalie plays all, all right, and you can get away with those guys. It's not like the players that are filling in. It's not me and you on defense, right? These are professional yeah. players that come up. They've all had a bit of NHL experience. Um, so, uh, yeah, anyhow, that, that, that's my, my super hot take about the defense stuff. Danny, you got anything you might want to add about the, the D? Yeah, and uh, I'll point out that Niku played 19 minutes tonight. He was the fourth defenseman in, uh, per uh, like by minutes, just by straight minutes, and that was all five five on five. That's the most he's played since he's been in the lineup and the Jets are 4-0 in those four games that he's played. So that's, that's the, you keep Niku in, you're going to win all, all the games, I guess. That's kind of the way we're going. Maybe but, uh, and his, the, uh, sorry, the uh, two games uh, on the weekend against the Devils and the Rangers, he played seven and just under eight minutes respectively. So kind of, you know, they've kind of been sheltering him a lot. And those games were a little out of reach or a little close where you, they probably won't run Niku a lot in those situations. And obviously Morrissey was still healthy at the time. So that kind of plays into it. And I mean, you look at a guy like Cam Schilling who played, I think like 450 ish AHL games. Yeah. So that's, that's a significant amount of AHL games. And I believe he's up over, this will be his 11th game, I think tonight in the NHL. So, I mean, you kind of learn a lot playing that many games. You kind of know what to expect Coming into the NHL, he hasn't played in the NHL since the 2014-15 season, I believe, if I'm yeah. uh, not mistaken in that sense. So, I mean, he's played a lot of professional hockey. He's 30 years old. I mean, whatever. He knows. He kind of knows what he's doing out there. And you look at Nelson Noje, who drew in tonight because Morrissey was out. Um, this was his 11th game. He played a, uh, a stretch of 10 games, uh, not last season, but the season before. So, he does have a few games. And, obviously... He didn't play a lot of AHL last year. He had a very serious shoulder injury that kept him up out from October all the way until I believe it was like late February, even mid-March. So he didn't really get to play much last year. So, it's, you know, it's good to see him at least out there. And Tucker Pullman's hurt in the AHL right now. Luke Green as well is injured, I believe, still. 
and the Boos have had a complete overhaul of their, of their six uh, defensemen in the last two weeks, uh, three weeks. If I were to actually pull that up, I don't have the time to do that right now, but I think four of the six guys weren't even on the roster <laughs> when the uh, season started. So that, that just goes to show about the big turnover and how it just affects everybody when you're working with your, probably I'd say Shelly and Noji, your 10th and 11th D-men on the Jets in the Jets system. So that just kind of shows that depth does kind of matter and you can't never have too much depth. And that's kind of where, where we're at on that right now. And, it's good to see they were able to win, you know, squeak out a win tonight without Morrissey. Uh, Maurice did say he sh- Morrissey should be able to go Friday. That's when the Jets play next at home against St. Louis. So hopefully it's nothing too serious with Morrissey. Obviously, he's very important. He averages the most minutes uh, with Bufflin out. And Truba played about 29 minutes tonight. So can't really ride, you know, you don't want to ride these guys for half half the game, every every game kind of thing. You want to be able to spread it out a little bit. And that'll help having Morrissey back in there with uh and Bufflin, hopefully his concussion's not too serious. And yeah, hopefully we should talk about Bufflin actually right yeah, now. Yeah, let's so, let's switch whole, gears uh, to the Bufflin thing, yeah. For sure. Yeah, the oh sorry, uh you're you're going there. I'll just I'll just uh leapfrog off of that. But yeah, the Bufflin thing was funny because well, not funny, but I mean when it happened, I mean who didn't kind of, you know, heart just drop when when they saw that and they're like, Oh my gosh, how badly is he hurt? And then to see the guy come back out, what, 25 minutes later, like of playing time or, or, or whatever it was, see him back out there, it was super concerning. I mean, in today's age, day and age, in 2018, when somebody gets hit like that and that's what they look like and their legs aren't under them, I mean, you're, you're done for the day. There, there's no question about it. That was so, so, so poorly handled. I mean, it's good on the spotters, I suppose, that they, they caught it, right? But I don't believe that the spotters just sit around and uh, uh, they're not the doctors, but they, they pull players out. So how how Bufflin gets back in the game was a huge mismanagement. And now to to think that he went back in the game and now has missed, what what did you say, the last three games? So, you know, the last the last four games. The last four games. So he is good enough to go back 25 minutes later. Like, have we learned nothing about concussion, about how the the things, uh, the effects can, um, you know, have a de- delayed sort of response, like where they, they, they come later? I think uh, Dan Carcillo was tweeting about that the other day, the sort of the second impact syndrome, to get hit again once uh, your brain's already swelling and you have the first signs of a concussion can be fatal. Like, it's super dangerous thing and again in for the jets and their doctors to mishandle that i i don't understand like maybe somebody lost their job behind the scenes because that was so poorly managed i mean we're not doctors we don't we don't know anything but everybody's pretty woke on the concussion side of things like just trying to be aware i mean my kids have had concussions we've all kind of seen it been around it know about it read about it hear about the lawsuits it's it's not something to mess around with, and I I don't understand how he got back in the game. It was whatever. I it's that's terrible. That's brutal. I, that's such a uh, a blemish on the the Jets organization and their doctors for letting him go back in there. So, and yeah, that's my my take on that. Daniel, did you have something that you wanted to to add about the buff thing? That's, yeah, I mean. I don't like I looked as soon as I saw him get up from the hit I didn't not even before from when I saw the replay after like as soon as he laid the hit and 240 pounds running into 265 pounds that's that is an impact right there right and that's concerning and just the way where Bufflin's head was and all that 
like this is going back to the replay, but you see that and then you see him, he can't get up. Ben Sherrod is trying to lift him up over the boards. <laughs> Good luck with like, that. What, Try and lift yeah, him like, up. What, like, he, like Bufflin didn't even know the door was like three feet to his left in that, in that uh, specific situation where he was relative to the, to the ice. Like he was right by the Jets bench, which is somewhat fortunate, whatever. Um, and then I knew he was going to get pulled. I was like, they have to pull him. Like, there's no, like, I, I can see from my TV, I'm about half an hour away from the, the, the arena here from where I live. And I saw it like, I, that's a concussion. Like, yeah. I'm not even like that, that there's no way he should be back in this game and he'll be out a week. Like, that's the, the minimum amount of time I think to pass is seven, seven days, right? So I was expecting him to be back in next Friday if all, all goes well and it's not too serious, right? Yeah. So that's, that's where I was on that. And just to see him come back out there. And I mean, he kind of looked like himself. I didn't, it, it was late in the game already is I think it was the third period. He came back, if I'm not mistaken. So you didn't see him too much out there. Just there was a dozen minutes left or so. So in a close game yet. So he probably did get a few shifts in there. I could, I could look at a shift tracker to, to nah, see how much he actually played, but don't that's worry not it. really where, that's not really where I'm going on that is like, he, shouldn't have been put back on the out on the ice like, concu- like concussions are so serious and I mean having heard what athletes say what, whether they mean it or not or what their teammates say you know when a guy gets a concussion or if you know he gets rocked really hard and his shoulder like they pop back pop in his shoulder and he wants to back out there on the next shift right yeah and that kind of thing and they'll say, oh, and then, you know, they'll be joking about it after saying, yeah, he was ready to go out there the next shift and he wanted, he was like, is there still time in the game? Like mm-hmm. that kind of thing. That's probably what happened with Buffalo. And I know there is some kind of baseline test yeah. that they do in during training camp when everyone, and if you have your baseline test. So who knows what that is? Like, is the question like, what's five plus five? Yeah. Like, what's your birthday? Who, like, what's your wife's name? Yeah. Like where where are you like what's your oldest kid's name or your oldest pet or whatever like what or your your what's your hometown like that those basic questions you might not necessarily forget that when you have a concussion right it's there's a lot of other areas of the brain and stuff that can be affected like your perception and just a whole bunch and your brain is like it's just scary even talking about this like yeah it's just like i can't believe he was back out there i can't you know i it's very rare, actually, that, like, just thinking about it now, of seeing a guy get pulled by a spotter and then to come back into the game, right, because they do have a concussion. So I just wonder what happened in that quiet room. Like, what? Yeah. Like, you how know, did he pass? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, like, what what, what went on behind the scene? Because we know athletes, they want out there, right? So what, what happened? Yeah, and, well, and what does the effect of a concussion have on your body when you're still full of adrenaline? Right, like uh, do the baseline test in three hours versus well, you know it's freshly happened and you're still full of adrenaline. You know what our bodies can do under those, you know, circumstances is probably a little bit different. I mean, again, we're not doctors, but everybody saw the hit and it was really bad. And you actually like uh, not you actually, but you you brought up a really good point. The fact that he was lucky, it was so close to the bench. Could you imagine the optics of that? Had he been in the far corner and had to make it back to the bench? And you see him oh. just flopping all over the ice, trying to to get up and say the play's gone the other way, and nobody notices except you know the 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 away team goalie or something, and then they skate out to try and help him. Like, could you could you imagine if it was that instead, how bad that would look for him to come back in? But the fact that what he had a you know three foot kind of wobble over to the bench and then 
you know, had his teammates to help him able to sit down for a second before he could walk off under his own own strength. So, and yeah, that that again, yeah, was really really brutal. I I don't think we'll ever know exactly what happened there, but uh, somebody again should uh, should really uh, do a better job with that because I don't know how he gets back up there. It's it's mind boggling. But anyhow, let's move on. We we spent a lot of time on the D and uh, the concussion of one of them. So. Um, Sorry, excuse me here. Um, uh, we wrote down a bunch of topics here. Uh, let's see. Uh, we're going to, oh, you know what? Uh, just talk about the Carcillo thing. I'll just touch briefly on this. Uh, I know you and I have both kind of seen this stuff going back and forth online with uh, Jeff. Is Jeff O'Neill? Yeah, Jeff. Whoever. Jeff O'Neill, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Dan Carcillo and uh, Sean Mathias and then Kyle Wellwood kind of piped in like some of these uh, former players talking about hazing and uh, whatnot in, in junior hockey. Uh, I did actually invite Kyle Wellwood to come on the podcast again to talk about it. He said, no, it's uh, I'd rather not. Uh, his brother coaches uh, in the OHL, and he says a lot of that has been taken out of the game now, which is good. Like, it's nice to hear that they've actually, uh, you know, had some forward thinking of things and more adults in the room to and better adults in training and uh, sensitivity training that more and more coaches and parents have to do to be involved with kids. So so that's good. If if the things have changed, and then Sean Mathias, uh, he was also invited uh, on the show, but uh, he said publicly that he's not really that interested on sharing everything that he did wrong or was done wrong to him publicly, which is, you know, totally fine. But it seems like an interesting topic that is, is coming up and playing into some of the culture maybe of being a uh, like a to, to the Buffalo thing, maybe like a tough guy. You need to get back in there. Um, you know, hazing is part of like an initiation. You know, it's the good old boys just kind of doing their thing. seems like there's a lot of that old hockey culture stuff uh, that still is rearing its ugly head. That's not really uh, forward thinking. It's too bad. Obviously, what some of these players have gone through and and, and what some of them have done and are probably sorry for. But uh, just curious if you could maybe share some of your takes about the 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 hazing and if you again, I don't think it's really a problem now. But I guess what what can we what can we learn from this? Is there anything that the you know young players and and people can take away from all this stuff because right now if they're just talking about stuff that happened before that doesn't happen anymore what are, what are we really supposed to learn except just some middle-aged former players kind of you know chirping at each other online is there is there anything to gain from this i mean it's more at this point i think i i do i mean i don't i have any experience personally with this so I'm, thankfully i guess is a good way to put that but hazing like it's something that you've always heard of that I've always heard of, you know, in sports or in uh, say a high school, you know, the seniors hate the freshmen or whatever. There's been a lot of scandals that have come to light recently. And in the last few, few half decade or so, I'd say decade, even we'll go even back a decade or so where, you know, you hear about stuff, whether it's in sport or in high school or any, any, not even like in hockey, but in all sport. Um, and the only like, you can't really do anything about what happened in the past, right? You just got to fix and work towards a better, you know, a better tomorrow or make sure that, you know, it's about like acceptance and like, I don't like, you know, just you want, you want to make your team like a tight, tight knit group kind of thing. And it used to be thought that hazing, that, that was how you did it. You know, right. you, you shape the young guys into, into form, right? You whip them with the back end of a goalie stick or, 
brand their ass or something like that, right? Yeah. And it's just like that's like what like what are you doing? That's painful. That that hurts. Like it's embarrassing. Like what like what what are you doing? Like that's and if you read Carcillo's tweet, I can't remember his junior team for the life of me right now, but he said they were the top the top team in the the OHL Eastern Conference or, or whatever. And uh, and they lost the seven games first round in the seven in game seven or in five games or something like that. And he said it's because the rookies, because I guess they had a fair few amount of rookies, like four or five on a 20, 25 man roster or whatever it may be, they had turned on the on the vets, right? They were like, you guys beat beat us or whatever the heck the hazing was, right? And we don't want to play for you. Like why why? You know, right. he said the one guy was in tears, unnamed player at the time, and I think it's in his book or something like that. So like how, so even even hearing this one specific story right now, you see how the team turned on on each other. You know, you had the young guys going against the older vets of the team, and they ended up burning out in the first round of the playoffs because the young guys kind of took a stand. Right? They were just like, we don't want to play as a team, and that's part of the game is is team. You know, you're you're, you're 20 guys, you rely on each one and each other each game, and Hazing is not a way to, to, to team bond, right? You go out, you know, you, you you just practice that and you want to be friends with them. You don't want to beat them with the back end of a goalie stick or whatever the heck, a sawed-off goalie stick or something like that. Just something that absolutely boggles my mind. <laughs> and, like, like just the hazing thing to me, like you're hazing in hockey, for example, should be the rookies picking up the pucks at the end of practice. Like, that's, yeah. that's something that's, that's fun. It's a fun thing, right? Like I remember I caught a, a moose practice one time and it was one of the first ones I had actually made it out to at the ice box during training camp and all the rooks were picking up the pucks and they were having like a competition who could go bar down into the crate with the yeah. puck, right? That's, you know, that's, that's a fun thing, right? That the vets get to hit the showers first. Like that's, that's just something, you know, that's doesn't hurt anybody, right? They're having a good time. And that's more what I think, it should be about them not beating guys or shaving their heads or branding them or yeah. ripping their fingernails out or whatever the heck they're doing, right? <laughs> well, it certainly seems like the those some of the old ways of doing things, that old hockey culture stuff, um, the real problematic parts as they kind of rear their ugly heads and, and people have a new sort of level of, of tolerance or intolerance to, to stuff like that, that it should put – you know the future of hockey in in a much better place and the experiences of kids right in a in a much better space and I think there's already been like I mentioned some of the other things things have been put in place to to do that I know I've requested before that uh, parents that I coach in soccer uh, do some of the same uh, respect and sports stuff that parents already have to do in hockey I know hockey parents can be the worst but whatever um they a lot of them they a lot of teams do require that you you do some sort of training that uh talks about uh yeah just not berating the kids not taking it too serious whatever it is so uh, the more that it moves towards those things as far as i'm concerned the better for everyone i mean you can still have a high level of competition without having to uh threaten beat you know whatever whatever it is so um but you did touch on the moose i think let's shift gears to the moose stuff i think an interesting topic here that i brought up the other day from the the jet centric account is just about the moose attendance now daniel for people who don't know this uh, has attended i always like to say more 
Moose games than probably anyone that's ever been part of the Moose organization because uh, there's been two coaches now and there's been players that have, have gone through. I mean, maybe JC Lapon has attended more Moose games than you. Or, sorry, I should say home games. Home games. Daniel does not yeah. go on the road with the team. But, uh, so you've seen. Not yet. I'm yeah. working on the creds. So. Yeah. So you've, you've been to a whole slew of Moose games and now you're, you're going to try and pull back from that a little bit because, uh, that's a crazy toward pace to try and keep up. But, um, with the Moose attendance, and this whole chat about the WHL coming to, to Winnipeg. Um, have you seen a drop? Well, I, I know that you have seen a drop off in the, in the Moose attendance, but, uh, I'm curious what, uh, what the future for the Moose would be. Um, there's lots of conjecture of if they could move or they would stay here and we could actually support three teams. But at some point you would think, um, and I'll just, I'll just let you kind of go off on this, but I'll just kind of finish my thought, um, that there's probably a breaking point where I know having the moose close, the, the Jets, they save money when they have to call players. They're just down the hall. It's easy to kind of control, uh, the, the whole thing. They built, uh, you know, some, uh, extensions on at the, the ice plex to include the moose. But at some point, if, let's say if the moose have two really down seasons and, a WHL team comes to Winnipeg and uh, they start drawing whatever 1,200 fans, right? And uh, maybe the Jets are doing really well and it's the uh, hottest, you know, like last year again. Um, it's the hottest ticket in town. Uh, I don't think there'd be that big of a demand for the Moose. So a couple down years where they're averaging, I don't know, just make up a number, 2,500 fans, right, to a game. At some point, do the optics of that hurt the club so much that? it outweighs the benefits of having the team close. I mean, there's, there's gotta be something. It can't just be about saving money and serving the big club. It does, but at the same time, uh, it is its own entity that kind of needs to stand on its own. It, you can't be playing to an empty or, you know, one tenth full arena. Can you? I don't, I don't know. So anyhow, Daniel, you're, what you've seen with the, the attendance and uh, it going down, um, even and going down last year, even as the team at times was on record pace to to set the most points, uh, the mark for most points ever by an AHL team. So, anyhow, I'll, I'll let you take it from there. That's kind of my questions and thoughts about it, or not so many thoughts, yeah. just questions. But anyhow, what do you see with the Moose? You've you've been there since day one. Yeah. So like they're um, they've been on a on a decline each year since the first season. Um, in the attendance and that's just, you know, you get the new team or the rebirth of the moose or however you want to word that. And that was something at the time for me was something, you know, affordable. I couldn't afford Jets tickets and at the time and I was able to get moose tickets for a, a reasonable price per month or whatever. And I just wanted to go to hockey games, right? I could watch the Jets on TV. It's all the same experience for me. And I did have Jets and moose tickets and uh, for two, two seasons, I went to like, PD games combined over those two seasons and that just <laughs> got crazy expensive and anyways that's a whole different thing but uh it's it's something definitely that the affordability still isn't really there i mean yeah sure the moose tickets are 30 bucks ahead that's great but then you look at the concessions they don't you know the concessions are still 10 bucks for a a beer and 11 bucks for a hot dog or whatever i'd rather they buy concessions there because i i have somewhat, like not many people can afford that and we're just two when we go right could you imagine you know taking your family of five out there to a moose game and buying everybody like a, 
a pop and stuff every night, or we'll say two nights, two nights a month, even if you have like a nine game, like that's plus, plus the tickets. And then you got your parking on there. It's, it's, it's a costly thing. And I mean, the, the viability is definitely there. I do recall when they come, when they were first announced that shipment said about 4,500 was their break even. So I not sure exactly what they're hovering about around right now for that, but 4,500, that's less than half of the lower bowl. I believe the lower bowl is around 10, 10, five or so. So you're playing in front of a half full arena. It's kind of, yeah, the optics are kind of lost there. It looks kind of, you know, here at Winnipeg, we're all about the hockey and stuff. And obviously the, the Jets had that great run last year that cost everybody, including myself, a whole bunch of extra money, which is great. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that's why we're, we're season ticket holders. Right? We, we want the playoffs. We want to go deep. We want to go to all 12 home games in the playoffs as they win the cup in six or whatever it may be. Right. Like, but then you look at your credit card bill in July or August and you're like, holy crap. Right. <laughs> and that kind of affects that kind of affects it too. Right. And, Obviously, Winnipeg, we're a fairly small city. You know, what, what are we at now? Eight, 800,000 or so. So, and not everybody can afford to go to games like that. And it's just kind of, I mean, the benefits are there. And I had that interview with Mitch Peacock a couple of weeks ago. And we were talking about it. We talked about that. I'll just plug that episode 24, I think it is, or something, 23. But uh, we talked about that and the, the benefits of having the boost right down the hall right across. That means, you know, the Jets, they interact with the Moose players on, on the occasion, you know, if their practices cross over, stuff like that. You know, the coaching staff is right there that they can talk directly to, like Maurice can talk directly to Vincent if they have time about systems and stuff. And that's, that's very beneficial. And obviously the call-ups are fairly easy as long as, as they're both at home, right? Right now you look at the Moose route in California. They had to send Noji across the country all the way to New York area, and that's, Obviously, that's that's whatever. That's negligible. You'd have to do that if you had a team anywhere, right? But it's, it is beneficial for home trip for home games when they're you know they'll have six games and seven nights at the MTS Arena where it's Blues Jets, Blues Jets, right? And that's beneficial. You know, you can send the player down. You could play a Friday, Saturday uh, games with a boost, and then so need be you might need them Sunday just to fill a roster spot or just to to be upstairs in the press box just in case that kind of thing. It kind of just gets gets them together and it's very beneficial to me and I can see I've seen it firsthand the the benefits of having them right down right across the hallway in the in the Bell MTS place and obviously True North like they have the money and stuff to support it and you know I think they could do a better job like I said with the concessions and making it even more affordable for for families to be able to go out and that's that's where you're getting right that's where that's what I see a lot of is a lot of young kids at games. Yeah. That's something that their parents can afford to take them to where you, you look at a Jets game, you know, in your section, say you're in section, whatever, 120, there'll be maybe five kids. Everyone else is adults. Yeah. Right? It's adults with the money that are going to the big tickets, right? And that that kind of thing, right? And where you go to the moose, moose games and there's kids everywhere. You're I'm running into kids all the time. Like, get out <laughs> of the way, kids. Like, go home, like, whatever, right? But it's, it's good to see the kids. And I remember... Myself, I, you know, I used to go to the Moose games as a child. That was all that was here when I was a kid. It was it was the Moose, and they drew quite well when they were here. You know, seven, I'd say between seven and eight thousand probably each season. They average probably maybe yeah. slightly more some years depending on the on the talent. So I I know I just answered a question like Kevin Chevel's day off there, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you kind I, of I, did. 
I don't really have an actual answer about the viability because I don't know nothing about the business that side of the, yeah. the hockey that yeah. side of the hockey business. So I mean, it's viable, and obviously the WHL coming in here—that's something you know. I probably check out a game or two. Is it's all young players, all young players playing on different teams, you know, and either their property or the NHL they're trying to get in the NHL, which is which is great. That's something great to see and something great to witness. And you know, obviously, I can't remember what arena they said. I think it was the University Arena they'd potentially be using. So that's not sure what they draw there or whatever. But that's another you know another attraction, and that's you'll run into having a Moose game and a University game on the same or a WHL game on the same night. Yeah, and that that'll take away even more, and that's. You know that's it's yeah. concerning. Obviously, I like I like having the moose here, you know, as much as I like having the Jets here, and it's something that that I'm able to do. And I mean, I I don't see where they move them. Obviously, the Thunder Bay was a rumor. Um, you know, I said move them down the down the road to Fargo or something. You know, keep them. They got to keep them close. A lot of NHL and AHL affiliates are close now, and that's something that you kind of have to keep pace with. That you can't send them back. Like you can't move the moose, they will say to uh, St. John's, Newfoundland. <laughs> yeah, you can't like that. That was just not efficient, right? Or you can't even say uh, say they move them down the road to Nebraska. Like that's a ten-hour drive away. That's well, two and a half, three-hour flight. Yeah, it's not as convenient. Convenience is. The, yeah, there's some there's some to be said for it. Actually, I was that I, I was looking up some some cities. I was thinking there's uh, maybe Billings, Montana, or Boise, Idaho, or something. I mean, those are a little bit further and not direct flights, obviously, but they're still in the western uh, kind of swing. And the Jets are obviously going to continue to be in the the west and the central, or maybe they just get rid of the central division with the like divisions altogether with the addition of Seattle in a couple of years. But um, yeah, I just, I I don't have the answers. I just try and ask the questions. I just don't think people are being completely honest uh, with themselves that they go, yeah, the Moose are just here. They're here to stay. It's the best thing that could ever possibly happen. I go, well, the tenant, if attendance continues to dwindle and a WHL team comes in and the team doesn't kind of adjust and maybe they have down years and the Jets do well. I mean, like it, it just, it doesn't, it's not that hard to look ahead and, and I'm not, you know, a negative person for suggesting it because I'm sure that people in True North have already asked these questions long before me or anyone else has thought of it. So I just think it's an interesting debate, debate because uh, I don't think that having uh, three teams here is actually viable. I think uh, somebody's got to go, and uh, it sounds like True North is already somewhat connected to that Kootenai Ice uh, purchase because as a former uh, True North executive, uh, what's his name, Grant or Graham, something like that, who uh, owns the Kootenai Ice and wants to move him here. And I think it's one of Craig Heisinger's kids, I believe, uh, is their uh, hockey operations guy there. At least he got the same last name, but uh, I, be- I believe it is uh, his, his son. So it seems like there's some True North um, connections there. It might be a nephew or something, whatever. But yeah. Yeah, so it seems like there's some connections to True North, and so with them bringing the team back, I'm sure that they are, you know, looking at the viability thing. And uh, just from the optics of it, I would say, from what I can see, it's probably not. But anyhow, let's move along. Daniel, um, kind of just want to. I know we're going to actually talk about the Jets. We talk about concussions. We talk about the movie. <laughs> we're talking, but uh, just about the guests here. I think it's uh, just a quick thing, just to kind of let people know some of the guests that are coming up. Um, you have uh, you did an interview today with uh, Andrew Berkshire, which was uh, kind of cool uh, to to set that up. I know you and I were kind of chatting with him back and forth. Uh, how did that go today? I haven't even listened yet, but I'm excited to listen and pass it on to people. 
Was it yeah, good? it went. Uh, it went. It went really well. Uh, I was, you know, Andrew was was great coming on, and uh, we had a good chat about. We didn't get too deep into stuff, but we just kind of talked about the Jets in general overall. Yeah. Analytically, we got a little bit into the young guys and how how you kind of want to see them in there and develop them throughout the season and hope for that good playoff push and stuff like that. I don't want to spoil the whole thing, but it was it went really well, and I'm sure the listeners uh, will enjoy it. All right. Well, and then we, like I mentioned earlier, Rick Ralph Roddy recorded with him today too. So we had two recordings happen today, and uh, we got a couple other ones that I'm just going to mention so people can look forward to those things. Uh, Bartley Kivas. He really wants to come on, but he works for CBC, and uh, they do have a Jets-themed podcast. It's more about the history of the Jets, from what I could tell. Um, I haven't actually listened to it. And so uh, Corporate isn't uh, a big fan of him, you know, just joining other podcasts. So we're, it's probably going to be very regimented where he has all the questions beforehand. It won't be as free-flowing, but I think he'd be an interesting person to talk about the business side of things. He covered uh, a lot of, like, the street party dynamics and the costs, Um we're talking about the CBC did an article about the charitable sides of uh, sports uh, organizations. So uh, anyhow, I think he'd be a great person for that. Uh, we're working on having Max Giese on. Uh, those of you who know that name uh, know that he is actually a scout for the Jets. Um, so, but obviously he has to check with True North to to make sure that's cool. But he was uh, really great to kind of chat with uh, offline. Uh, but uh, obviously doing a recording with him, we'll we'll see what's happening. Uh, I got an email today uh, back from Leah Hextall, so we're going to have her on, which is uh, cool, but I think that's probably going to wait a week or two. Just uh, She's uh, really busy right now, but we're going to have her on. And then one that's uh, really fun to talk about with me and Daniel, at least here, is Patrick Williams. This will happen. This has been like the longest <laughs> ongoing thing. Uh, Patrick Williams is super busy. He's been super nice and super friendly. <laughs> Uh, with with both Daniel and I, but uh, arranging times with him has been uh, a really difficult thing to do. But uh, if you are a Patrick Williams fan, this will happen. We we know it's going to happen. Uh, he's keen to do it. We're definitely keen to have him. Uh, if you don't know who he is, he used to write for NHL.com. He mostly he only covers AHL now. But uh, when the Jets came back, he covered them, and I think he wrote for Sportsnet or something too. And he he was really good. He's a fun media person. You should definitely follow him online. And then um, Ken Weeb, Ken Weeb of uh, Winnipeg Jets uh, intermission fame. That's why I always think of him. Uh, Twitter Eves, and intermission. I I know that he I know that he writes for was it the Free Press? Maybe I don't know who he writes for. He writes for the Free Press the or the Sun. Oh, he writes for the Sun. Okay, sorry. Um, but I always think of him just in those intermissions doing that. So he's going to come on. He's been an interesting person. I don't always uh, agree with his takes, but uh, our buddy Ryan is going to be interviewing him tomorrow for for a little bit, so that'll be fun. And then one uh, interview coming up, I'm hoping to release at the end of this week if I can get it done, is five-time Stanley Cup champion, Hall of Famer, uh, Jets killer, (laughs) uh, goalie uh, Grant Fuhr is going to come on the podcast. I asked him, and he said, yeah. So we're just working out a time. And uh, that should happen. So that I think that would probably be our biggest guess. If Grant Fear comes on, I, I would say that would have to be the the biggest one. Would you, wouldn't you say, Daniel? So far, I mean, I, I yeah, we've had you know what we've had some some good some good guests like we had Jay on right on for a yeah. twenty. Yeah. As, uh, but I think Grant Fear is probably the most notable. Yeah, I mean, um, we had Ace Burpee and Scott Campbell. Yeah, we've had, uh, like you mentioned, Jay Jay Onright, Mitch Peacock. I mean, uh, Peacock, Sean, yeah. Sean Reynolds, Randy Turner, uh, Micah McCurdy, Hustler was on. Like I said, all the other ones we're gonna have on too. So we we've we've had quite a few. 
uh, really, really big guess. But I think uh, Grant Fuhr is probably going to be uh, the biggest one, which is kind of cool because Jets are actually playing Edmonton coming up, I think, in about uh, four games from now. They're playing Edmonton. Next week sometime, yeah. Yeah, it's next week, yeah. So hopefully I want, I want to get it done before uh, next week hits us. So anyhow, that's that's it for, for the guests. I don't know if there's uh, – well, there's other stuff in the works, but that's just some stuff that you guys can uh, – can know what's going on. So now back to the current Jets and who they are and what they're doing. So they've had this nice little road trip that they've gone on. They've uh, won some games. Um, are we happy with the way the Jets are playing? I mean, they started off uh, okay, but it seemed like they could only score goals on the power play, especially Patrick Laine. Uh Now it seems that we're getting more five-on-five goals. I mean, Wheeler had a real rough start to the season. Now he's pretty much first assisting everything that that happens Shifley obviously is doing Shifley things and he's he's really really good uh Brian Little I you know I I I hearken I hearken back to the beginning of the season where we were all like don't put Ehlers and Liney with Little but boy putting Connor and uh, and Liney with Little seems to be working out uh, I think Little has found his uh Found his stride back a little bit from last season, which was a real down year for him. But uh, and I think the Ehlers Connor switch is the key to it. I think if Ehlers and Liney were still together, I don't feel like that would work. It just doesn't look like it works. Everything about it says no. It the only time it ever worked before was when Stasny filled in and and did that with those guys. But everything else about it seemed wrong. But now uh, the little switch up, which many people were calling for right away or switching up the center um, has happened and it feels like we, we got two scoring lines. Um, so that, that, that feels really good. And then we got a real dynamic fourth line and obviously a strong checking third line. Uh, maybe Danny, you can kind of comment on this. I don't really understand the checking line or the third line being a checking line because historically your fourth line is your checking line. And in today's day and age of, uh, you know, NHL hockey, younger, faster, more skilled um, kind of thing. It's it's not about the checking. I'm not taking anything away from the TLC line, but it seems like everybody's going to that top, you know, nine, three scoring lines. The problem with that checking line is they don't score much. Now I'm saying that obviously knowing that Lowry had a goal today, I'm well aware. <laughs> but but there's I I believe it's Garrett Hole. He probably didn't invent this thing, but he always says there's good, better, best. So when something good happens, you can't just assume that that's the best thing possible, right? And the Jets yeah. have been winning games, but they've been giving up. You know, they've been scoring a ton of goals, uh, but mostly coming from those top two lines, mostly, which is understandable. It should be. Um, but you'd like to see a bit more production coming from that third and fourth line. Kind of feels like you'd get some more from that fourth line if they actually were a third line. So anyhow, talking about those lineups, Daniel, I've, uh, I'm done. Okay, you go. What, is, what do you have to say about these, these four lines in the current makeup? What's working, what's not working, and what could change besides uh, comments on uh, Appleton? Well, keep the comments about Patan. Uh, slash Appleton slash Lemieux. We'll save that for for a different uh, a, a different hit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like I, I like the, the top two lines the way they are right now. Um, again, the you know the Connor Little line a is the line that I think is is meshing right now, and that's something that we we needed to see. 
obviously some aren't a fan of that uh, that line. I know last time I was on the round table, there was the two round. We got some backlash for the for what was said about the Connor uh, Little and Line line, but I think you know they're still they're still doing fine out there. They're looking they're looking good, you know. And I don't always have the charts right in front of me to actually read into it, but just the eye test says you know what they're controlling. They're getting some shots on. They're not on for a lot more they're not a lot on for a lot more goals against than any of the other lines are because the Jets are giving up piles and piles of goals right now and that's more of a defensive overall team thing than just Hellebuck or than just the forward lines we touch on the defense for about 15 minutes earlier so I won't get into that but the way you know the way the lines are structured now is is fine and like you said you know the third line should be more like a fourth line, like we've always said, and some have always said that if Adam Lowry is your fourth line center, you're doing spectacular, right? You have a very deep team. Yeah. That I think by the end of the year, again, whether whether they bring in another center like they did with Staffy Trade, which I'd rather than bring in some D help than bring in another second line center like they did, and obviously it worked out super well last year and. And that's and that's that's good and that's you know it was good to make a move at the time and that was what was necessary. Well, but, hold on, I'm going to stop you for two seconds. When Stasny came in, this this is my problem, I suppose, with Tanev Cup uh, Lowry being a third line. Again, two of those three players I like a lot, but the thing is, last year our third line. Remember, it was everyone was in shock that our third line was Ehlers, Line A, Stasny. That was who we were running as the third line which is crazy that that was our third line. So there seems to be a bit of a disconnect skill-wise overall between our third line when we were second in the league to what we are now. And it feels like, sure, we don't have Stasny. Most of the other players are still in play. Um, It feels like we could probably amp up that third line to be a scoring line, not a checking line, or or at least even time. I mean, if if our third and fourth line, whatever you can – uh, as Garrett has mentioned before, if you're uh, up by a goal or two, then you know your your checking line plays a bit more. If you're down by a goal or two, then your your third fourth you know third slash fourth line scoring line is going to be out a little bit more. That would be just a, a way to do it, and then they'd get get more minutes, right? And uh, yet at the same time, when there was a minute left, I think two games ago, that third line checking line was coming out. I'm like. Why are they out there right now? They're not our best players. I'm not saying throw out that, that fourth line, but just uh, maybe that fourth line with a little bit different mix that maybe would go out at that time. But, uh, yeah, just remembering that that was our third line when we were second in the league was Ehlers, Liney, and Stasny was basically running as a as a third line. So I just think we can kind of bump it up. Anyhow, I, I interrupted you there. I just wanted to throw that out there as part of it when we were talking with the lineups. But, anyhow, can, continue on if you can remember where you're at before I so rudely interrupted you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, uh, that's fine. I was just going to say, like, I think by the end of the year, whether they bring in another center, which I didn't want them to or I don't want them to, I think, you know, by the end, once – Roslovic, you know, we didn't like him at center. You know, I'm still a little on the edge of him playing center right now. We still got a lot to work out, but that's why we're working it out in the in the beginning of the year, and then we can see what he's got, what he's capable of. Obviously, Cop yeah. is a center. Cop can play center, and you know what? I think he'd be a good center between Roslovic and uh, Appleton, for example, or whether it's Appleton or Patan, and then you bump Pearl up to the checking line with. Uh, Tanev and Lowry and Perot can 
play anywhere and he's fine and everyone else around him will be fine. Yeah. So that's kind of just my little tweak, especially to the bottom six right now. Obviously, maybe, you, you know, if you have to you move Pearl up to, say, replace, put him up there with uh, Little and Lining, maybe, and move Connor down to wherever you need him in the lineup. And just some, you know, some slight adjustments probably won't hurt right now. Like you said, what did you say? Good, best, and better? Yeah, good, good, good better, better, best. Or, good, better, best, yeah. I'd say right now I'd give it a better. Yeah. Because there's still a best that is yet to be achieved. Yeah, and that's something that's just a coaching thing. Like Bren, for example, Bren, you played tonight with Cop. Uh, Cop had an illness, or or he wasn't feeling well, or something. Uh, not not too sure exactly what uh, what that was. It's the Jets, so we never find anything out. But <laughs> well, did, didn't he you know, have a concussion? Isn't that why he missed? Uh, and that's you know, I thought maybe it was some post concussion stuff going on there. You know, he played <laughs> a back to back. Yeah, well, even so, even Buff after uh, coming back, then Maurice said he had the flu. Well. Like you can't say that's that. That's a sign of the con- that's a sign of a concussion. But yeah, you can't say that. I guess I don't know. We can all read between the lines. So so likely, uh, cop is feeling some ill effects from that. Still, maybe he does actually have a flu. But um, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's questionable when you see how things have been handled before. If that's uh, going to be true. So when someone says a flu, you kind of go, oh, okay, sure, sure. Yeah, the flu. Yeah, the flu. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I'll just uh, finish that off. Like they had Levy win and Patan's eating popcorn upstairs. So who knows exactly what's going on there? Obviously the Islanders are a little chippier of a team. I guess Maurice thought they needed a face puncher playing just in case someone hit someone. I, you know what? Whatever. I won't. I won't yeah. get into that. That's a three-hour conversation. Well, but we we just do need to get into just it. the lineup. Yeah, we'll we'll get there someday, but not uh, <laughs> maybe not right away or whenever. But it's just, you know, just some co- co- it comes down to the coaching decision who he's drawing in each night and who he's putting out there because ultimately in the end it's up to him. Yeah. And the guys just have to figure out how to play with one another and they don't really have a choice at that point. And, you know, you can only be only as good as the guys that you're playing with or you can only match so well with certain guys in different senses depending on game styles and game flow and all that crap. Like, for example, I'll just use a quick, like, there was no whistle for the last 10 minutes of tonight's game. Like yeah. there was the puck dropped at 9:48, and the Jets scored it with two seconds left. That was the only whistle between then and then. So that's a very game flow, and I think all four lines had to flow out through then because there was no breaks, there was no commercial breaks or nothing. One of the most efficient hockey games I've ever seen. It was great. It was less than uh, two and a half hours, so that was that was something nice. But uh, but just stuff like that, and you know, Maurice was forced at that point to roll all four because they were exhausted. Yeah. Like, they, just exhausted you can't just run 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 no 90 second commercial break none of that right so just line off the conversations is a conversation especially in hockey that i feel like most fan bases including us and you know they have these discussions all the time and it's just about how they roll how the teams choose to roll their lines and what the how they interpret the analytics behind it and all that other other stuff that's coming into the game now and that's kind of my thoughts on that and they're at better now they they're not quite at the best yeah i totally agree they're they're better they're they're a good team they're but you know they're the 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 one thing that is uh i guess a a caution would be because you win and because you do things well doesn't mean that you can't be better right like and, and that's my concern with maurice which i've shared before on the podcast is that he usually uh, makes decisions as reactions, not as seemingly as a proactive thing. It's always because somebody suspended or somebody got injured that that's when things would change, not when things are going bad, 
right? No, it just sort of will just let them continue to go bad. You know, sometimes if they go good, like I mentioned, again, just a couple episodes ago, um, you know, either scores a goal. So then he's trying to find who can be on that top line and say, okay, yeah, he's definitely going in the next one. And I said, he, yeah, it's obvious that he's going in over Liney and Connor because he did something good. And so then it's like, okay, we fixed, fixed it. Right. So that's kind of Maurice's thing. So again, whatever. Sorry to those listening. Not a fan of Maurice, but I mean, there seems to be uh, the things that you and I and, and others have said about him are not made up. They're not untrue. They just, if you look at his track record of the things that he says, he usually doesn't follow up on them or he just changes it and everyone goes, okay, that's the new thing now that we're doing. And uh, so I, I have little, little trust for him. Um, I think he's a great talker, whatever, all the stuff that other people say about him, but that doesn't make you a great coach. Um, anyhow, I'm going to move on to one little uh, quick uh, thing here. Uh, one word answer. Is Tom Wilson a fucking idiot? Yes. Okay, good. All right. Yeah, agreed. Okay, I, I had that written down as a topic, Tom Wilson. I don't want to talk about his head. He's a loser. Get that was on. actually my topic idea, Tom Wilson, but yeah. <laughs> it was actually. I'm reading from, it From here. the other night, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm looking at the list of stuff we were coming up with here, so that's good. And uh, we did talk about the hazing stuff. Okay, so the the last thing to talk about here, obviously, is, uh, I, I guess, uh, the conversation about Appleton, uh, Patan, Lemieux, Tanev, those players, right? Sort of the ones, and and some are going to disagree. Some people listening are going to disagree. Who is the most valuable about those ones? And I get it. I understand why people like certain players. I understand what they see in them. Um, I don't understand. I always understand what people see in a player and what they like about it. I get that, even if I don't agree with it. But I don't. But I can see that for every player. Why you would like this one, or why you would like that one, or why you appreciate this skill set. But I don't understand when people can only see a skill set of somebody they like. Like, uh, for instance, if somebody likes a gritty player like Brendan Lemieux, how can people say, okay, I like Brendan Lemieux, but Patan is purely garbage? I go, well, no, he, he's not, though. That's that's so untrue. All the stats are against you to say that. So, you like, what is the value there? Is is there anything? And then when you stack these values up against each other, um, what you know what comes up uh, as more value and i think just talking about the maurice thing and i know that you'll you'll have some stuff definitely to share about this but maurice is very much always has been a guy that is into role players he likes you know a quote-unquote checking line he likes a gritty player he likes this he's not a uh analytics based high skilled player uh you know high possession i mean he's been blessed with a team full of skilled players that do all that stuff. And not to say that he can't coach it or, or, or do any of that. Obviously he's a better NHL coach than I am, whatever. I'm not going to pretend, but at the same time, there's, there's always a room for, for room guys for him, like a, like a Matt Hendricks or a Chris Thorburn, right? They always get the benefit of that or, or uh, Drew Stafford a couple of years ago coming back off injury, right? Because he's a vet, he gets, you know, first power play time and it's like well he's not a shell of his former self he should not be on that first power play right and then Brendan Lemieux slots back in Linus because he's a gritty player and we're playing a heavy game quote-unquote right and Tanev you know he's quick on the you know he's checking and doing all this stuff and that and surprisingly has actually scored you know uh more than probably most people have uh, expected him to this year and obviously in the playoffs too I mean last season uh, whatever they're wasn't that much to get that excited about as far as the scoring that, uh, goes. I know he's had a couple goals, but, um, so Maurice is always like that. And I, and I understand that's who he is and that's what he likes. 
and I'm not going to change him, and none of us are going to, but it's also very predictable. It's a, it's very obvious what he's going to choose. But just because he chooses it and has a certain thing that he likes doesn't mean that it's the right decision. Now people are going to say we won the games, but uh, again, good, better, best. Are we the best that we can be? I think if you're being honest with yourself, not you, Daniel, I know you're being honest, but uh, the Jets can be better than what they are. By every measurable stat that you can have, except for goals, I suppose, with Brendan Lemieux, Appleton and Patan are light years ahead of Brendan Lemieux. So what he adds grit-wise or penalties and minute-wise um, has to equal more than the the differential in hockey IQ and skill and the the value of them making uh, their teammates better. I mean, uh, especially with Patan. Appleton, I don't have as many comments about, but uh, uh, Patan is a very, very strong complimentary player. He makes other people better. He doesn't hurt them. You could literally take, you know, Shifley off that first line, and you probably wouldn't see a huge drop. I know people are screaming at me right now. You probably wouldn't see a huge drop in uh, Wheeler's and Ehler's points because Patan doesn't hurt other players, but he can, because he's complimentary, he can kind of make room for a player like, say, Shifley to go down to a different line and get to play on the second line or, or whatever it is. I, and I'm not talking about changing the whole lineup, but he's a very, very strong complimentary player, which is an undervalued thing by many of the fan base and certainly by the coach. Um, but he's better. He's better than Lemieux. Uh, Patan and Appleton uh, are better than Lemieux, and I'd say that they're better than Tanev. If Tanev were another cop, it'd be a different story. But Tanev literally is not—he's not a very good player. I mean, he plays well when he's with Lowry and Cobb, but he can't play with anybody else. And there's something to be said for the lack of flexibility that does for your lineup too—that you can't really move a guy that he's—he's he's glued to to those other players. That's—that's that's problematic. And again, I'm not a Tanev fan. I've tried to give him credit where it's due when he does things well, and that he has gotten better. But. Uh, I do not understand how we continue to roll out Tanev and just say that third line of Tanev Lowry Cop could not physically be better than it is. It's been good. It's and sometimes it's been very good. But there's no way in hell that it could potentially be better. I mean, uh, even tonight that uh Perot played on that lineup. Nobody in their right mind I think would say that Tanev's a better player than Perot. Yet at the same time you could put Perot on that lineup and not screw up your fourth line at all if you ran, you know, Patan, Roslevic, and uh, Appleton, right? You still have a very strong oh, other yeah, third yeah. line, right? And you've also made your third line better and, and probably up the, you know, the the goals for percentage chance, right? Um, sorry, I'm losing my words. It's getting late. So, <laughs> and I don't, and those tools are all available to the coach, and the fact that he doesn't use them and that Brendan Lemieux slots in tonight is is baffling. And it was almost like he was just looking for an excuse to get Patan out. I do think that he does not like him and his game and does not see it fit for this team because there was no reason for when Cop was coming back for Appleton to slot in. Appleton has been fine. He's been good. Obviously, he, he wasn't as good tonight because he had to play with Brendan Lemieux. So that line was terrible because Brendan Lemieux is terrible. I know I've been talking for a bit here. I'll give you your second. But, uh, Daniel, but, <laughs> but, uh, 
Yeah, so Brendan Lemieux does, doesn't help that, but you could, anyhow, make that third third line better. Appleton's been good, but there was no reason besides, oh, Appleton, because before Appleton played, most Jets fans have never seen him play because most Jets fans don't go to all the Moose games or watch Moose games. So most people weren't saying, oh, Appleton's really, really good. Most people are saying, oh, I hear he's really good. He did really good in the AHL, right? It's not like they've they've actually ever seen him play. So there was no reason to, to put him in. And then he goes in and he did well. Well, he did well because he's a good player. But that doesn't mean that he should be the next one in the pecking order when Patan's been here longer, paid his dues, yada, 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 done all the stuff to sort of earn trust. Every opportunity he's had, he's done well with it. I mean, he hasn't scored the goals, but again, I always uh, like when people say he hasn't scored a goal. The Jets have played, what, 27 games, and in the playoffs, I think they played, I think we figured out a a couple episodes ago, like 25 games or something in the playoffs or whatever. No, no, 19. I think uh, maybe it was 19. Anyhow, in the playoffs, Tanev had four goals and the Ehlers had zero. So is anybody arguing that Tanev should be making six mil or is that a small sample size and he had some puck luck and, you know, he worked hard and got some goals and Ehlers didn't. So had, you know, had some of those good scoring chances uh, fall in Patan's way and he had three goals, would all these people saying Patan sucks and definitely put Brendan Lemieux in or keep Tanev in be arguing that Patan should be the guy? I mean, there's got to be some other underlying numbers that you look at besides just goals for because people have up years and down years and, you know, uh, slumps. So I don't know. I it's, it, it boggles my mind that we could have pro on that third checking line and we could have the best AHL forward line last year, essentially, of Batan Roslovic and Appleton being sheltered and being able to kind of run all over other teams' fourth lines. Yet Bren Lemieux slots in and Tanev continues to be in the lineup because he works hard. And uh, the, this is the last thing I'll say. Nobody knows how hard Tanev works. All you know is that he's fast and that you notice the things that he does out there. That doesn't mean that they're good things and that, that doesn't mean that he's working harder than anyone else. I mean, Brian Little, super quiet kind of a game. You don't see much of what he does. All right, I think you'd probably offend the guy if you said you don't work as hard as Brendan Tanev. You just uh, you can't measure how hard someone works. You can measure their outputs and their ability. You can see also their ability to take a pass or give a pass or check a guy on the right side so he doesn't, you know, push the puck up on you. Anyhow, I've been rambling. I know for the last three or four minutes, it's been driving me nuts listening to myself. I feel bad for anyone that's been listening this long. And Daniel, I feel bad for just taking it. But this this whole debate of this fourth line, just the comments I see online, I just think you're just not being honest about who these players are and what they've done and accomplished and, and what right they have to, to be in there. It's all just everybody's narrative is driven by what the coach chooses. And if you're not honest with that, then you won't see it. You'll just be like, well, the coach chose these players, so they're definitely better. I mean, Dano is a better player than Brendan Lemieux, and he sat in the press box all last year and didn't get, you know, the same opportunity that he did this year. So uh, so everyone thinks, well, Dano sucks. Well, no, he doesn't. He doesn't. Every Go look at his stats. Go look at what he's, uh, he's done for the minutes he's actually played. No, don't look at games played. Look at his minutes. And... uh He's a great player. He's a nice, he'd be great on our fourth line right now. But whatever, he sucks. What do I know? I'm not an NHL coach. So, anyhow, Daniel, that's it. That's my time. And see, go. <laughs> yeah. So, basically, like, that was something I was con- getting into before is 
why is Lemieux in and Patan's upstairs eating that, that popcorn at Barclays Center tonight? Like that just it just doesn't add up to me. I mean, you know, if Cop isn't out tonight and Patan and Lemieux are both up in the press box, again that's not ideal, but at least it like why is Lemieux higher than Patan on the depth chart? That's kinda of where I'm at right now. Like Lemieux is an idiot. He's dumb. <laughs> he, all he can do is skate and shoot really hard and punch people in the faces and well, take and, stupid penalties. And this is coming from a person that's watched Lemieux play more than anybody who's probably listened to this because you've attended almost every home game since Lemieux's been on the moose. So, yeah. I mean, I think yeah. I think you have a pretty good good idea. And your seats uh, are right behind the bench, so it's not like you're uh, you're far away. You you see everything right behind the visitor bench. So, Daniel, yeah, I see. Yeah, I see. See a lot of ozone time. There you go. When it is, and a lot of a lot of chirping at the bench for no reason, stuff like that, which is just funny because you're sitting right in, right behind it. That's that's just fun. But uh, you know, you see them you out there. If they played, I think the fourth line had about seven minutes tonight. I probably probably in and around that. And you know, you want them up at eleven. Like I want that fourth line to get eleven, twelve minutes. Well, how are they going to get eleven, twelve minutes? That's you need. You know, you need to be able to trust them. Okay. Well, why are you trusting a guy that averages a penalty and a half a game in the AHL? I think we had I had done the math, or someone had done the math. It was like three penalty minutes uh, a game in the AHL over his AHL career, or something, something along those lines. And that's that's not good. That's that's bad. <laughs> so that's you know, like why why? Yeah. And you have them out there. You know, they got over seven minutes tonight, and that's partially because, like I had mentioned, the last ten minutes there was no whistles. So they were kind of rolling a little bit differently than they would have in a normal flow of an NHL game where you have, you know, they miss two commercial breaks and all that stuff. And that, that does have an effect on it. And there's no face-offs, there's no ozone starts, no D-zone starts. So there's a whole bunch of extra crap that happened tonight that kind of bumped up their minutes. You know, when the news been in, they played, you know, six, six minutes max, you know, six and under the fourth line. And that's, you know, why, what are they even doing there then? You might as well just go with the top nine, you know, save, Saved them their legs, like I, it just doesn't make sense. So you can't tell me that, like like you had mentioned, like the Tan and Appleton are probably better than both Tanev and Lemieux. Yeah, Tanev and Lemieux played tonight, but Tan was upstairs and Appleton was was out on the ice tonight. And I mean, he looked, you know, he looked like like you'd expect someone who has to play seven minutes with Brandon Lemieux, not not a, not not all that great. And, and that's you know whatever. And Appleton, I you know I've seen a lot of Appleton last year and like you had mentioned the Rosselvik Appleton at the timeline they were 11-0-0-1 I believe as uh, Dave over at uh, Illegal Curve had pointed out and they had a pile of points when they played together for a 12 game stretch last year and they were the best I, I'd say far and above in the, one of the top top three I'll say top three lines in the AHL like, so why aren't you getting them out there in the sheltered minutes against especially a team like the Islanders or even like the Rangers the other night get them out there against you know the Rangers and the Islanders and even the Devils. They don't really have four deep lines like the Jets do. So this is the time where you want to really get those guys out there developing, get them playing, get them playing out air court right now, the easy minutes, you know, against the other team's fourth, third or fourth lines and their third, third, third pairing defensemen. That's where they get, that's where they learn their mistakes, learn what they can do, figure out what they can do. And like, like we had mentioned a few times already, the Jets are getting carried by their, their scoring on the top two lines. But if they could ever get that fourth line figured out or the third slash fourth line, that's be the third scoring line, and then you got your third checking line, whatever. You know, you put Perot up there with Lowry and 
and Kopp, and that line is better. You have three scores on the fourth line, not two scores and a face puncher. You know, you don't need that anymore. Yeah. Like, I couldn't even name – I don't think every team even carries a face puncher anymore. Like, it's just non-existent. I think as someone I posted the other day, the Leafs have one fight all season this year so far. That was just one thing that just stuck out to me. I was like, wow, like one fight in 26 games at the time. Mm-hmm. And actually the AHL affiliate, the Marlies, had one fight. And fighting is more in the AHL than it is the NHL. So just, just something – you just keep that, you know, like fighting is gone, right? It's, it's yeah. going away from the game, which is good. So you don't need Brendan Lemieux out there who can't even, like, yeah, sure, he has a goal. He had a garbage goal with 30 seconds left against the Blues when it was eight, it made it 8-4 at that time in that game. Like, that's, that is the definition of a beaningless goal. It's, it's, it's garbage. It's even less garbage than when you're down, say, 3-1, and you make a 3-2 with 30 seconds left. At least you still have a chance, right? Yeah. You're going up 8-4. The other team's already out of the game at that point, like, it's done. It's over, right? That's that is like garbage. I like extra garbage, like Brady Landfield type of goal, right? Like that. <laughs> like what? Like what? Like what are we doing here? Like you just have the the valuation of the players sometimes from from coaches. Like I mentioned, it's just they value them wrong. And in no sport, I know C Max says this all the time. In no sport other than hockey, do you not play your top players every night, right? Yeah. Like, yep. And base like in baseball you roll out your top your your nine guys that maybe not your best best players in a sense, but you roll out your nine best players that'll face off against that pitcher that night, right, for the analytics point of view. Yeah. So why aren't we playing our top twelve analytics players which would include Batan and which would include actually Marco Dano instead of Appleton? I'm not sure how Appleton's doing in the small sample size right now. But so why aren't those guys out there? You know, like that's that's kinda of where I'm at and you look at like basketball is kind of another one that's hard to judge because the star players take nights off. Yeah. Which is whatever. That's, and and, and that, then the, that's the, the NFL, you game. always have your guys out there. But yeah, I was going to yeah, say with just, the, the basketball, it's so star driven too. So it's a different yeah, dynamic, but probably have, the closest comparison to hockey. Yeah, exactly. Right. You just, you know, LeBron won't play it all 82. And the, the basketball has actually a little more condensed schedule than the NHL where the rest nights are, are lacking. But anyways, that's completely off. It's just yeah. most sports you play your top your top players every night because you need to create the best opportunity for yourself to win every game because wins matter. Yeah. And you win by scoring goals. And you score goals by having the puck and not letting the other team have the puck to shoot the puck on your net. And that is something that the analytics tell you the story of who has the puck the most, who's shooting the most, who's given up the least amount of shots against, you know, and that kind of stuff. And that's that's where it's going. And why why is Lemieux, like, I didn't think after Patan got back in once he recovered, or not once he recovered, but once the thing with his father at the beginning of the year, I didn't think I'd ever have to tweet out hashtag free Patan again. <laughs> but I had to tweet that out tonight. And yeah. that, I was like, why am I doing this? I thought yeah. we were past this. And actually, I'll just one play on, I think it was fun, Sunday or maybe it was Saturday's game. Patan ended up out there on the power play with 30 seconds left in the power play because Perot was getting some repairs done. And he made an unreal pass to Line a in the slot and Line a fanned on it. And it was like in Line A's like wheelhouse, like slot between the circles, like automatic goal if he gets good stick on it and it bounced off. And that was just one play that I was like, wow, like Patan, like I can't believe people – We'll see that play and say, "Wow, Patan is awful." 
right? Yeah. Lemieux is not making that pass. Lemieux is not even making that read, right? Yeah. So that's just kind of just well, you see stuff like that, and yeah. Well, and it's funny too because he's had a couple of those, like just the the sauce to cop what the, about four games ago, four or five games ago, where he had that one and cop fan on it, right? You know, I think Patan let it go from both the the blue line over the stick. You know, cop got it right by the goalie, and he he didn't put it in. Kind of a you know, had he maybe a tad more skill, he probably would have uh, potted that. And so if Cop scores that goal, and if Line A scores that goal, and maybe, you know, some other beauty assist that, that Patan has had, somebody finishes on that, somebody else, right? And then maybe on one of his glorious chances, he, he scores a goal. All of a sudden, he's got one goal, three assists. I just don't think that still changes anyone's opinions. And so you, you see a guy do the right thing, be in the right place, you know, do do all the right things but then not get the the right results as far as, like, continued trust. I mean, the results, uh, obviously the, the right results would be, you know, getting some goals. But I'm not talking about that. I just mean you do all the right things and you don't get rewarded for it. That kind of gets it taken away. I mean, if you go back and look at the film of Patan over the last 11 games that he's been in this season, he's been really, really, really good. People say he doesn't go to the corners, and I'm like, he's like the first one in the corner, and At he times, the gets first guy in the corner, just <laughs> yeah. like Perot, yeah, just like Perot, and he and he gets the puck, and if he doesn't get the puck, he's pretty quick to try and turn around and get back. It, it just amazes me to think you're watching the same game as as some people, so it, it's disappointing for for him. I think obviously uh, with Lemieux coming back into the game, sorry, I got hiccups now. Um, kind of seems to confirm even more so that Patan's days in Winnipeg are, are numbered, which is maybe finally going to be good for him that he can go somewhere where he's appreciated and uh, maybe we'll sort out the thing. One one thing that you said was an interesting kind of line too, where you said Marco Dano might still be a better option than uh, Marco Dano, better option than, than Appleton right now. That's an interesting thing because obviously with him going back to the, the Moose, no one's really talking about him, but he, obviously didn't have opportunity really this year at all, right? So we don't really know what he's capable of, but if you look at his history in the NHL, it's been pretty good uh, point production. So uh, that's, a, that's an interesting one, just with all the, the love fest for Appleton, which I like Appleton. That's great. I like he's Appleton good. too, for sure. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, nothing wrong with a player, but you just go, what's the pecking order? The guy who's been here longer that has – you know, some proven track record of doing good things. And then, again, Patan, great example, did a bunch of good things and gets to go to the press box, you know, with Lemieux taking his place. It just, it makes no sense. And, but whatever, I don't know. We're not NHL coaches. We don't know anything. But uh, we've been going a long time here, Daniel. This was uh, fun. I think we covered a bunch of stuff, and hopefully uh, people stuck with us. And maybe we'll end this off with uh, our little hashtag game that we do here. Um, we'll go with... Um, Hashtag Setaguchi. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so if you're uh, listening to this podcast and you get to the point, and yes, I'm looking at you, Jimmy, Jimmy Pegg, one of our <laughs> listeners that will have listened to all 83 minutes of this. Um, hashtag Setaguchi, yes. And uh, we'll have some fun with that. And uh, we're just going to make some plans. There's some DMs going on right now, I can see, about uh, uh, what the order of some of those interviews are, are going to come out in. But uh, all the ones we told you, they are coming out. So look forward to that stuff. And thanks for listening to us. Let's send it off. We've got a couple of days to rest before the next uh, Jets. And then we'll hit it back up maybe on Sunday night. We'll do another roundtable with a, a bigger gaggle of people. So thanks for taking the time, Daniel. This is fun, as always.
thanks. Thanks. Uh, thanks. I had a good chat. I vented a little bit. That's something I needed to do. So that's, that's, yeah. that's good. <laughs> yeah. Thank you everyone for listening to our therapy session. Uh, this was uh, a <laughs> night. We just needed to vent and we recorded it. And uh, so now you all get to listen to this nonsense, but hopefully uh, if you didn't see things a certain way, maybe we helped you see things a different way, or maybe uh, we did venting on your behalf. But uh, you know, I, I, like I said before, I did, when you and I just recorded that one time again, well, we'll I'll shut up right away. Um, that I think we do. I hope people appreciate that we are trying to be honest with it. Like when you look at things, it's not just a fandom thing. It's not because you know Patan is my favorite player that I'm going to say that he's good. If he does things bad, I'll say that he's he's bad. But he's been really good, so I'm going to say he's good. And and by every measurable stat, Lemieux has been really bad, so it doesn't make any sense to put him in. So I don't know how any you know mainstream media person or fan can defend the decision because it it just doesn't make any sense it's just and so then uh maybe the coach made a bad decision maybe the coach uh isn't infallible and and does some boneheaded things maybe you know you should start to question that person and you'll find ah, maybe that it wasn't the best thing maybe it isn't the best coach maybe whatever it is and just kind of change your way of thinking see the see it in a bigger way that's that's the the whole it's fun to have the conversation but uh yeah, it's not like we're just pulling this stuff out of our ass. There is actually numbers to to back this all up, but which we didn't really cite too much anyhow. But uh, you can find us on the Twitter machine. So uh, check out at JetCentric. And uh, Daniel, what's your handle again? Daniel at Daniel WPG55, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so clearly my favorite player is Mark Shifley. It's not even Patan. So that, that says something right there. I'm just <laughs> like, I love Patan, but Shifley's always been my, my guy as he was coming up. And so I'm just, you know, I'm not even defending my best player right now, right? That's or my favorite player, right? So that's that's kind of how how deep it runs. And obviously, we're just you know we just want to keep an open perspective and kind of you hear it from from every side, right? So that's important. I'm giggling here because Daniel, before you change your handle to what it is now, what was your old handle? Talking about favorite players, what was your old handle? Uh, my old handle was I was uh, Drew Staff on Twitter actually. Before, yeah, Drew, so. Drew Staff. After Drew Stafford. All right. Well yeah. done, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyhow, take care. Bye, everyone.